When it comes to trading and looking at crypto markets, there's obviously quite a few ways to skin the cat. We often talk about on-chain analysis here. We obviously draw pretty lines on charts and do technical analysis, and we've had plenty of people who focus on fundamentals. Well, today I've got an incredible guest, Greg, who's going to talk about futures and volatility and other ways to creatively use data to understand what's happening in the crypto market. You guys don't want to miss this one. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I am Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please go ahead and subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. As you will notice, I am uh, once again not in my studio today and also not in a horrible airport hotel room like I was yesterday morning right after landing on the West Coast. Today, I'm in my friend's office uh, with his drums and his flight simulator back there. He's a pilot. It's pretty cool. Yesterday, I... uh, I got on there first time and I successfully took off in a Cessna and landed it back at Gainesville Regional Airport in my hometown. So basically, I uh, am a professional pilot, if you guys didn't know that. So as I said, listen, guys, there's a lot of ways that you can approach the crypto market and a lot of data out there. And I think for most retail traders and most people who don't understand it, it's extremely difficult to parse, very difficult to understand. And so I think generally they end up just scanning crypto Twitter and following anonymous farm animals, financial tips that are not financial advice. Obviously here we try to bring you a bit better information than that. So I've got an incredible guest today from, from Amber data. I've got Greg Magdini. What's up, man? How are you? Hey Scott, thanks so much for having me on. Happy to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, suffering through all of my tech issues, talking to my AirPods here and all the stuff we've going on, but you obviously, uh, an extremely advanced trader. I've been looking at the stuff that you guys do at uh, Amber Data, of course, and some of the topics you sent over that you're interested in. Can you give us a very brief, I guess, the brief overview of what Amber Data does, what you do there, but then how that leads to your market approach specifically? Yeah, absolutely. So Amber Data is a holistic crypto data company. We cover blockchain data, market data, so like spot prices from various exchanges, futures prices, such, uh, such as like Darabit futures, as well as option prices. Um, so I'm sort of the, the niche option guy. I'm the director of derivatives here at Amber Data. So I look at futures, I look at options. My background is as a trader. So I'm a prop trader. By background, I've been trading for about 13 years. I traded at Chopper Trading in Chicago, as well as DRW in Chicago. And then I've been in the crypto space personally since uh, 2013. 2013, you're early. What, what got you into crypto in the first place? I always have to ask when I hear that because anyone who's earlier than 2016, I automatically get triggered and I'm jealous that they were earlier than me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great question. So I was actually in college with uh, one of my friends, Linda Shea, who, who runs Scalar Capital now. And we were doing a research report on the gold standard. And so we got all these books and it was dense, boring reading. And like we just we were like, all right, we got to change our thesis. And uh, I had a friend who told me about Bitcoin at the time. I think he was buying drugs or something. And he like, let me know about <laughs> about it. And I, I told Linda, I was like, hey, what do you think about doing Bitcoin instead of the gold standard? And she was totally into it. So we did a research report. We downloaded Tor, went on the dark web, saw where people were spending Bitcoin. 
And at the time, Bitcoin was $7. And I was like, this thing is sketchy. I don't want to go to jail. Didn't buy any at that time. Um, but at least got my feet wet and understood what, what kind of the Bitcoin uh, world was doing. And then I ended while I was prop trading at Chopper Trading, I was still following this market. And when Bitcoin finally broke above 200, um, which was a previous high in late 2013, early 2014, that's when I finally got my feet wet and bought the top at $1,000 and wrote it down for a bear market. So that was fun. Imagine buying the top of Bitcoin at $1,000 and be upset. But interestingly, you know, most people who were in space in 2010, 2011, 2012, who bought at $7, sold at that $1,000 mm -hmm. top. You were buying that top, but re really a lot of people I know have sort of long-term depression and can't believe they sold when they sold Bitcoin at $1,000 mm -hmm. after seeing it go all the way up to 69000 And now you talk about buying that at the top, right? And, and, and anyone here and in the comments would kill for the opportunity to buy Bitcoin at $1,000. I don't think we're going to get that chance again. Do you? I don't think we're going to get $1,000. No, I agree with that. So what's your overall view, uh, I guess, of the context of the market right now? And then we'll dig more into the specific strategy. I mean, do you think that we're in a bottoming process? Do you think we have a lot further to go? Do you think that macro is playing a huge role or not? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So just kind of speaking from spot prices, I you know this is going to be my third bear market. So 2014, 2015. 2018, 2019, and now 2022, 2023. So one thing that I've sort of seen from the past two bear markets is a couple of things. One is they take a while, you know, 12 to 18 months to really kind of bottom out. And then the other thing is that we have low volatility in bear markets. People love to talk about crypto when crypto is going up and they're really excited. And when crypto prices are crashing, like no one cares about crypto. So we're sort of seeing both of those trends play out right now. So this makes me think that we probably have, call it another six to 12 months of at least a bottoming, bottoming out formation or consolidation. I personally think the macro picture still has some headwinds. We're kind of at the tail end of potentially a you know, 30 to 40 year credit cycle. I don't know what that looks like. And to me, there's still a lot of risk there. So I kind of think macros can drive crypto as a risk asset. I think I'm really interested at Bitcoin, Bitcoin around 10,000. Uh, those are sort of the, the price levels that get me jazzed. Um, so that's kind of how I'm thinking about it and what I'm looking for. Yeah, I think that aligns with a lot of people's thinking. I mean, everybody has their level that they think could be the bottom 10, 12, 14, mm -hmm. 8. I've obviously heard down to 3, but it seems there's very uh, minimal expectation that we'll just skyrocket from here in the context of everything that's happening. Having been through all those cycles and researching it in 2013, being that early, are you surprised at how correlated it has become to macro? Because obviously, you know, the 2018, 2019 bear market of crypto had very little to do with what was happening outside of the crypto market, right? I mean, obviously in 2018, at the end, we had sort of a quick, you call it a bear market or correction in the stock market, but that was brief. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question. So I'm not too surprised by the correlation because I think sort of everything's sort of built on top of interest rates. So interest rates are sort of like this discounting mechanism that affects everything. And so the fact that we're seeing Let's go back a year from a year ago and like the 10 year treasury is trading in the one handle and crypto yields, you know, stable coin yields were about 
Now we're seeing a, a huge contraction. And a lot of that's because the yields and risk-free fiat has gone up a lot. And so to me, that makes sense that everything sort of gets discounted. Um, one of the big narratives that we've seen is that, you know, everyone's kind of surprised by the gold prices. We're, we're having inflation headlines, why isn't gold sort of the safe haven and trading at $2,500? Well, a lot of that, in my opinion, is because the discount rate went up. And so holding- Bonds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Holding bonds is more interesting than a zero yield gold asset. And the same can be said theoretically for, for Bitcoin. I don't think the fundamentals are as clear cut in the crypto space, but, you know, those those- fundamentals still apply loosely. And I think that's what's happening. So let's talk about your personal approach then to the market. You said that your background is obviously in derivatives and options. I would say that you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that's still relatively immature and inefficient in the crypto space, at least versus other markets, which should offer some opportunity to somebody who understands it, right? I mean, any inefficiency, eventually it'll be arbitraged out. But at this point, it seems like there's still probably a lot of little quirky opportunities that most of us don't see. Yeah, absolutely. So here's how I think about it. Crypto is sort of an, an unsolved game, so to speak. It's only been around for, you know, 15 years, if you think 2008 is sort of the true beginning. And so no one's got 80 years of experience now go into crypto wall that's even a shorter time horizon the first options were traded on, first options that traded on Deribit were late 2016 and we really didn't start seeing like true activity until mid 2019 and so there's a very short horizon of experienced crypto options traders and the volatility surface itself or how options are priced across expirations and strikes isn't a solved game it's kind of anyone's guess still so we've seen in the past four years, a lot of different volatility regimes. And what I mean by that is like, how does volatility react when prices are going up? How does volatility react when spot prices are going down? What is the degree of curvature in the volatility surface? And so there's a lot of opportunities there for asymmetric trades or asymmetric opportunities. You know, it's not guaranteed profit, but probability, you know, talking in probabilities in the long run, those are, those are good opportunities. So Happy to sort of dig into that. And, and yeah, let me, I'm going to share your screen if you don't mind. And then uh, you can talk, you can go more specifically into what you're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. And so just for kind of anyone who's new to options, I just want to do just kind of quick two second overview. So people look at implied volatility as opposed to straight option prices. And the reason why they do that is because if you look at an option ladder, you have a bunch of different expirations you can choose from. You have a bunch of different strike prices you can choose from. So just like insurance policies, if you buy uh, a 30-day policy or a 30-day option, it's going to be cheaper in dollar terms than a one-year option. But you can't compare dollars to dollars. You have to first convert it to a standard unit, and that would be implied volatility. What is the option implying the volatility of the underlying asset will be? Um, if you go back to the insurance analogy, what's the probability of your house catching on fire versus not catching on fire? And so now you can compare one-year options to 30-day options or options that are 10% out of the money versus options that are at the money and really get an apples-to-apples apples comparison. So that's why people look at implied volatility because it, it kind of standardizes all the units and you can make good trading decisions from there. So one of the first things to keep in mind is that Implied volatility is a future estimate of the realized volatility uh, going forward. So one of the things I like to start 
one of the places I like to start is in the realized volatility space. So the first thing we have here is the volatility cone. So what this is showing me is that one day realized volatility or how Bitcoin is moving seven day, 14 day, 30 day, 90 day, 180 days, all those different measurement windows, I can really see historically how volatile has Bitcoin been. So right now I'm looking at the past one year and I can see, call it the 30 day realized volatility has a median of about 62, a high of 95, a low of 24. And we're currently trading at that 24 level. So realized volatility is really low. Let me extend that back to 2012. So back to 2012, now we can see that the high and the min kind of squishing the, the charts. Let me just kill those real quick, or let me kill the max. And so now if I'm looking at the 30 day over the past decade, I can see the median still around 67. The, the most, the lowest value we've seen is around 16. And right now we're at 24. So those blue lines are the upper 75th percentage tile and the lower 25th percentage tile. So we know that all the readings below 51 are, are in the bottom 25% of readings. Right now we're near the ultimate minimum of the past decade. So this gives you a really good perspective of you know, what kind of volatility has Bitcoin seen in the past and where could it go in the future? And now from there, we can kind of, kind of make our own opinions on, on what can happen in the future. One of the interesting things about trading volatility is that it's mean reverting. So, you know, we might see these extreme values, but in the long run, we go back around the median or at least the interquartile between the 75 and the 25% reading. So we know that at some point, realized volatility will go back up towards that 67 level, but we just don't know when. And so that creates the real trading opportunity for, for options. So yeah, you can, you go ahead. I'm just going to uh, let so you go, man, because this is really cool. interesting. And I'm actually like, I blew up the screen myself on my laptop so I could follow along. I'm basically just taking a course here. So go, go ahead. Oh, awesome. Love it. <laughs> cool. So, so one of the things to keep in mind is that because volatility is mean reverting, the sort of the final price level, so to speak, in terms of vol is known by everyone. And the timing is the true uncertain, um, the true uncertain uncertainty in the market. So one of the things that, you know, buying options versus selling options provides is that there's a lot of asymmetry. If you're long options, the most you can lose is your premium and you can sort of make multiple hundred percents if you're right. If you're selling options is the opposite. You have a fixed payout and sort of an unlimited theoretical loss if you're selling calls and then, you know, a wide loss if you're selling puts. So it creates a, a large incentive for people to want to be long optionality. Now, we just looked at the realized vol. Realized vol is at decade lows. So what does that, you know, what does that mean? Well, the trading opportunity, in my opinion, is actually a little bit counterintuitive. You might want to buy vol because vol is low, but that's kind of the obvious trade. So everyone's doing that. So if I look at the, the relationship between realized volatility and implied volatility, what we'll see here is that implied volatility for seven day options is trading about 39, while the realized volatility is about 17 for those seven, seven day measurements. So implied volatility is trading, call it 23 points above realized. So even though vol is cheap as a level, relatively speaking, it's actually really expensive. And you can kind of think of it like this. Vega is the Greek that tells you how much an option value changes for a 1% change in implied. 
And so a seven day option is going to have something like call it 11 Vega. And so if you're paying, you know, 23 points above, you're looking at, you know, $250 about of, of overvaluation uh, in terms of Vega. So you could, you could translate that, that overvaluation to dollar terms by doing 23 points times 11, which is the Vega level, um, and then get the dollar translation. So an at the money option has a huge overvaluation right now, theoretically speaking. Something to keep in mind is that, you know, just like prices, ball can flip on a dime. So we saw this with um, um, the FTX debacle. And then this is what that looks like. You see, yeah. you know. I was looking the, at that. I was like, what happened on November? Oh, yeah. Ex- exactly. <laughs> the ball can shift like, you know, 80 points on a dime. So that's something to keep in mind. So is there any questions to this point? Yeah, no. And so how does that translate to actionable intelligence for a trade? Because you obviously, you have access to all this data. Let's say that you know uh, that uh, everything that you've explained, now you approach Deribit or even perhaps the CME if you're an institutional trader or CBOE. How do you actually now make money trading that you said obviously that for you that does not mean to go long volatility because you explained why that's actually quite expensive and a crowded trade and what does this i guess all translate to in price what does a mean reversion and volatility mean for someone as far as where price is sitting yeah that's a great question so mean reversion so in simple terms mean reversion would mean if you're long options um your options are you're buying them cheap and then forget what spot prices do, the implied volatility will increase the value of those options. And then if you're kind of sharing the same opinion I have, which is, you know, maybe nothing truly happens here and we still kind of consolidate between 15 to 20,000 for a while. Um, then I'm looking at say, call it 90 day options. Let me look at that and say the first quarter of the year, I'm thinking nothing happens and we're still in this range. Um, then I could theoretically start selling some, some options that are 90 days out. And then theoretically this realized volatility, you can see right now it's at 45, but the, the truth is, is that this is including November and, and a lot of high vol, uh, moments in that calculation. So theoretically the realized vol will start to match the seven day realized. And now this, this 46, 90 day option, 46 fall theoretically uh, is going to be overvalued using the, the new realized volatility that we'll see in the future. So that's kind of how I think about it. One of the things that's really interesting about sort of using options is just like diversifying in your portfolio where you buy bonds and you buy stocks and you kind of have like a, a all weather portfolio using options. You can sort of diversify your bets. So, you know, I have an opinion that 15 to 20 are interesting levels. That's sort of a delta bias. Then I have an opinion on volatility in the options market. Are these options overvalued or undervalued? That's going to that's gonna help me determine my trade structure. And then all of a sudden, I kind of have two bets in terms of volatility and in terms of delta. And then I can pick out an expiration that makes sense to me. And now I kind of have a third bet. And now I'm, I'm diversifying all my opinions and theoretically, I'll have positive expected value on those opinions. Now I can sort of isolate the edge. So I might be wrong about the the price levels, but right about volatility. And so still come out ahead, even though I'm not totally right about everything. 
Do you utilize this as a hedge against spot positions? Obviously, a lot of the conversation in the last few years and talking about sort of inefficiencies that have been arbed out, the cash and carry trade was like the trade forever, right? I mean, presumably that's what, outside of GBTC, of course, but presumably that's what the BlockFi's and the Celsius's and the three ACs of the world were doing because it was a, quote, uh, risk-free yield trade. They could make their 15% then uh, BlockFi can hand 9% of that to you, keep their 6% and keep moving. But it's seemingly that trade is gone. Is there a trade right now that's as obvious as the cash and carry trade? Or do you really have to get granular at this point to figure out how to make money? And there's nothing that sort of everyone can do to earn yield. Great question. So let me address a couple things in the past as templates. So to your point on the cash and carry, so let me just jump to this real quick. This is a report that we're releasing next week. Uh, that's going to be really interesting, but we covered the basis sort of chart. So you can see here, this is like the cash and carry trade. We have percentile distributions. So you can see the, the, the middle line of the box is the mean, and we have sort of the outliers. And then 2021, for call it 90-day futures, you could, you could have sold the cash and carry. You could have locked it in at the, at the peak there around here at 50% annualized yield. That's so crazy. all you have... Insane, insane, absolutely unreal. I mean, you have counterparty risk, but if you have a good exchange like Therapit, you park your your BTC there, you sell the future against it, you just lock in a 50% yield, um, and then that's your opportunity. We can see that in 2022, all that has compressed. So we're not seeing those same ranges that we've seen in the previous three years. And there's a couple reasons for that. One of them is that people are just getting wise to this trade yeah. Um, another one is that there's institutional investors that sort of stepped into the market who have capital to sort of take the other sides of these trades and they're happy with 50%. I, you know, the reason that it trades at a 50% cash and carry in the first place is because you have retail investors who are really enthusiastic about getting along Bitcoin and they're, you know, they're trying to play it from 20,000 to 70,000 on a leverage basis to make multiple hundreds of percents. They don't care that they're paying 50% carry because they're trying to make 400% on, on their trade overall. So or they where, don't even understand that they're paying 50% carry, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that could, that could very well be as well. Um, so, so that's kind of where the opportunity of this trade comes in. And in the options market, you have something similar. So what you'll see here is going to be the skew. So this is called a risk reversal skew. What we're looking at here is going to be the call implied volatility minus the put implied volatility. Let me just highlight the 30 days here to make it less noisy. But in January of 2021, which was kind of like this breakout rally above 20,000 and we went up to 36, 40,000 and whatnot, we had a lot of FOMO in the options market as well as the uh, futures market. And so what we're seeing is that 25 Delta calls were trading 53 points above uh, 25 Delta puts. And so an easy trade setup there is that you buy Bitcoin, you sell that 25 Delta call against it, and you use the proceeds to finance a put. And so this is called a caller. And sort of the asymmetry that you're locking in there is that um, the put protects you on the downside, and you still have sort of the upside all the way up to your short call. And that was something like a three to one risk reward locked in. And so the worst you could lose is one, the most you can gain is 3x and then you're never going to get whipped out on stops or anything like that and so that's kind of a, a, a trade idea around this type of a situation where there's a lot of FOMO in the ball market 
So now we have a flat, dead, crab, sideways, call it whatever you want, market. So are there opportunities still to take advantage of in this market? Or is it a hell of a lot easier when the FOMO is there and when you have crazy volatility? Yes. So I'm again, my bias is still on a short fall side, which sounds crazy to a lot of people. But there's a couple things there. So one is there's that variance risk premium, especially evident with the short term options, because we're looking at the most recent data. So there's that sort of we call it 23 points of vol that is overpriced. And then there's something called term structure roll down. And so what we're seeing here is that if we're looking at these fixed maturity term structures, seven day, 30 day, 60, 90, 180, the 180 rolls down to the 90. And so that costs it four points of vol. The 90 rolls down to 60, that costs another four points. The 60 rolls down to 30, costs another four points. And the 30 rolls down to seven, which is another point. And so not only are you making time decay um, from being short the option, you're also making sort of the variance risk premium for the, from the realized to implied relationship. And then you're making sort of the roll down. So if I'm selling the 60 day option, it's sort of rolling down the term structure. You could call it shadow theta, uh, which is basically the drop in implied volatility just from going from one expiration to the next expiration. You can sort of think of it as a yield curve almost. And as the different expirations um, come into life, then you're going to kind of reflect that, that implied volatility as opposed to when you actually sold it. I see that the tab at the uh, top there is Deribit. I mean, is that really the only gig in town for uh, these kind of strategies in the crypto space? I mean, most people here aren't, uh, you know, calling their investment advisor to go short Bitcoin on CME. So, <laughs> yeah, so Deribit is about, you know, call it 90% of the crypto options market. And not Deribit. accessible to Americans, of course, but yes. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, right. Uh, and then Paradigm is sort of the, institutional block trading uh, RFQ system that people will use to sort of pre-negotiate trades and settlement, settle them on Deribit. Now we have LedgerX here in the US, which is a small exchange, but you know, I like the team a lot, a great team and everything. Um, and it's just more limited in terms of strategies you can do. So you don't have the same sort of leverage to go short ball. I mean, you could do covered calls, but you can't do sort of the structures that, that you might like, like butterflies or or one by twos and stuff like that. Uh, Delta Exchange is in India. They have a few altcoins, altcoin options, so like XRP and Litecoin, stuff like that. So that's pretty interesting. People who want to trade optionality on, on those uh, instruments can, can find that there. And then Bybit just launched uh, its options in August. And Bybit's a, a really successful futures exchange and, and spot exchange. And so now you have options found there kind of interesting component of Bybit is that unlike Deribit, which has options that are settled in the underlying coin, meaning I'm trading Bitcoin options that are cash settled in Bitcoin, uh, Bybit has it settled in USDC. So that makes it a little bit easier to uh, trade the strategies that we know, such as like a cash secured put. It becomes harder to manage when it when it when it's paid out in Bitcoin because there's a lot of like negative convexity as we approach zero. But if it's in stable coin, um, it's just kind of a more defined risk. So that's a, that's a very interesting exchange um, as well. OKEX is sort of the second biggest next next to uh, Deribit, so they they definitely have some volume on their exchange as well. But hands down, Deribit's the number yeah, one. I think for a lot of people, this probably sounds like you're talking 
in Chinese, right? Or, or in Greek, I guess. Um, how can somebody who has no really experience with options or very limited knowledge start to actually, you know, learn more and actually use this? Because, I mean, there's a much better way to manage risk than going and using a perpetual swap and setting a stop loss, right? I mean, there's so much more advanced hedging that you can do and ways to make sure that you uh, don't lose all your money and get liquidated, which is what people do. I mean, most people think of options in crypto as like a hundred X perpetual swap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. That's a, that's a great question. So obviously there's some simple strategies that don't require sort of uh, a lot of background in options. So if you want to sell a covered call, you know, that's, that's a simple yield enhancement strategy that you can sort of Google and figure out the easy way. Now, if you want to understand about options pricing and sort of the theoretical uh, assumptions behind the Black-Scholes model and why the volatility surface is priced the way that it is, there's one book that's called, uh, uh, let me, <laughs> it's by Nattenberg and it's called Option Pricing and, Vol and Volatility. That's sort of the introduction Bible to, to options in general. And then Ewan Sinclair wrote a book called Volatility Trading. That's sort of the more advanced version that you would read after that once you kind of understand um, the basics. And now you can start start to understand more of the, the, the pricing mechanisms and the opportunities that historically have, have been found in options. So those are two books that I really recommend. We have a YouTube channel with some educational content as well. So if you just uh, go to Amber Data Derivatives in YouTube, you'll see some of our videos that we've made. And then Darebit actually has uh, options. Educational Academy, yeah. Exactly. So those are great yeah. places to start. And can retail, can your average person access the data on Amber Data? Is it institutionally focused to who are you guys building this for and how are people using it? Yeah, so we actually have two core products. So we're mostly institutionally focused. We have an API with a Python built module and that gives you access to raw data as well as sort of our derived metrics that we've built internally. So that's sort of the, what a lot of the banks and hedge funds use. But then the website that I was just clicking around uh, in this video, that's accessible. At least there's a free tier accessible to the public. And then um, for the institutional guys who, who sign up, they get the kind of behind the paywall uh, charts as well. So the more robust kind of version. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's segmented into two. So any last thoughts on sort of your expectations for 2023? I mean, clearly you think that we're in a consolidating downward uh, trend, I think. Hard not to agree with that. Does, does it concern you at all that that's the consensus? You know, I, or, is it no, the, or is this such a rare environment where the macro is so bad and the Fed is so transparent with what they're doing that it's just... It would be dumb not to think that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not concerned about it. I still kind of, you know, when I'm in crypto Twitter, I, I think a lot of people are still thinking like this is the bottom. So I'm not even sure that it's completely consensus across the board. That's and, true. And and if I'm looking at the macro space, like the market seems to really want to trade up right now. Like it, we have CPI coming out this Thursday. We'll see how that reacts. But you know, the way that the markets are trading right now, yields are going down, bonds are going up, stocks are kind of having a little bit of a, a footing here and we've had a good week in crypto. I think ultimately this is sort of bigger than everyone. So like the central banks essentially are tied to if we have inflation or not, 
you know, has printing money, you know, when has printing money, historically speaking, not affected price levels and, and devalued fiat currency? You know, is that trend really set in stone? I mean, we have a, a huge precedent to say that it is. And, and, and are we at that tipping point right now? We also have sort of a geopolitical risk that, you know, we're going from a globalized world to potential deglobalization. Um, to me, that that affects supply chains. It affects sort of uh, kind of national uh, free trade, stuff like that. And we'll see how that plays out. That's another big question mark in the cards. Um, and then kind of as I alluded to before, we're at this tail end of a, a call it 30 to 40 year bond uh, market rally. And if I'm, one of the things I like to look at a lot is Japan. Japan to me is sort of the most advanced indebted situation in the Western the coal mine, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, we've seen a huge move in the dollar yen last year. And so I kind of want to see what happens there. I think the best case for Japan is we go back to deflation and then they can kick this can down the road. But if, if we don't go back there, um, I'm curious to see what happens. Uh, amazing insight and uh, definitely different than most that we've had on here. And I see the very favorable comments. So people really enjoy it. Where can everybody uh, follow you and actually check out Amber Data after this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So pro.amberdata.io, that's going to be our, our website for the GUI. And then we also have a newsletter. Uh, I'll go ahead and, and drop the link to that as well. And then we have our YouTube channel and a weekly podcast that we do with uh, crypto vol traders. So I'll, I'll give you the links to that and we can maybe just put them in the show notes or something. Yeah, absolutely. We've got the Genesis Vault Twitter or whatever in the in the show links as well, I know, oh, already. Well, dude, you're, you're welcome back anytime. Uh, absolutely loved the insight. And um, like I said, for a while there, I was. that's the first time. Usually I'm like uh, talking to my producers and thinking about the next questions. And I actually just ended up literally zooming the entire screen in and watching what you were doing there for about 10 minutes straight. <laughs> so I, it was extremely interesting for me as well. Um, you know, I've obviously dabbled in options, but I love when people get really granular and, and detailed with it. And, and so I, I really enjoyed it. And I personally learned a lot. So I'm assuming that everybody else did as well. Thanks so much, Scott. It was great being on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And everyone else, I, I failed to mention at the beginning, obviously, the sponsor that were sponsored by Prime XBT. So you might be listening to this later on Spotify or Apple Music. Uh, which you can always do with all of these daily live streams as well. Tomorrow, I will be back with Tom Dunleavy from Masari, who's been here uh, quite a few times and uh, always has some really creative views on the market and, and interesting data to share with us. I will be coming off of a red eye and a very long drive. So it's all pending my flights being on time and, and, and me making it at the tail end of an all-nighter. But the plan is that I will be here as always tomorrow at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Greg, thank you so much once again everyone else i will see you tomorrow peace Let's go.